0: I'm going to jump right into my sermon today and my my message. And I'm going to start with my verse that I'm going to be, uh, it's going to be my catalyst for this entire message. And it's found in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 16. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say that I am? He's bringing it home now, isn't he? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The title of my sermon today is, Who Do You Say I Am? I'm gonna ask you to pray with me as we begin this morning. Father God, we do love you today. We thank you for this sweet time of worship. Thank you that we can come together corporately and worship your holy name. We thank you, God, that all of our life, you have been faithful. All of our life, you've been so, so good we thank you for it today, Lord. I pray that in these next few minutes that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that my words would be your words and that you would do your work in our heart and bring glory to your name through our lives. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. So in asking this question, Jesus asked them, he almost sounds like one of those insecure friends that comes to you and says, hey, do you guys like me? You know, we never, you might have a friend like that that has done that and it makes everybody feel really awkward. Well, we know Jesus isn't, was an insecure person, so that's not his motive by doing this. In fact, he, he kind of started by giving them the first question, which is, what do the people say I am? And uh, I love it because the disciples were quick to chime in on that one, you know, because all they had to do was share the gossip of the day. Well, Jesus, some are saying you're the John the Baptist, some, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, and they were just loving telling him all this information. And then he's, But he's not going to let them off the hook. He's going to say, well, now I'm going to bring it home who do you say that I am? And that's where it gets to the heart of the disciples, doesn't it? And I could just see, if I could visualize those disciples standing around, looking at each other going, um, you know, James and John, they were brothers. I could see them looking at each other saying, well, you know, I kind of think he might be the Christ, but Dad said he isn't. So what are we going to say? And Peter bails them out. Thank goodness for Peter, right? He, he was never short on words. He was a preacher, and he bailed them out. The good thing is, in this situation, he actually got it right. He said, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him for it in the next verse. He says, blessed are you, Peter, because this was not revealed to you by man, but by God himself. So Peter got it right in that. And, you know, for us as believers, it's so important that we are able to recognize who Jesus is and to be able to say who he is. It's, It's one thing to say who he is by other people's experience to share the gossip of what somebody else says who Jesus is. It's a complete other thing to be able to say who he is to you and what he's done in your life. And it's imperative upon us that we learn and understand who he is and what he is in our life. And, you know, as I was preparing this message, it reminded me of a story that, that our own Jessica Siegler tells a lot of times. If you're friends with her, you probably heard it because she tells it a lot, but it's, it's so wonderfully brilliant and funny that it's worth telling. And so I'm going to tell it today. I asked her if I could hijack it, and she said no, but I'm doing it anyway. So when she was a teenager, what, about 18? Yeah, she's 18. She worked at Sage Valley. It's a golf course over in South Carolina. Uh, it's, frankly, a, next to Augusta National, probably the best, nicest golf course in the area. A lot of celebrities, a lot of pro golfers, a lot of athletes go there to golf because it's so nice. And she worked at the halfway house where you, after nine holes, you come in, you order food, your food, they send it up to the, the main house, and when you finish your round, you can, you're ready to eat. And they were, she was instructed, they were all instructed, like, when these people come in, don't, don't Engage in small talk with them. Don't, get, don't ask them their name and all this stuff. You just need to be professional. And uh, so one day this guy comes in. She actually saw his bodyguards first, so she knew this was a guy was a big deal. And he comes in, and she didn't recognize him. And so she's sitting there thinking, uh-oh, because I need his name for the, for the list, you know. And so he walks up to her, and he starts ordering food. And, and um, she says, uh, so uh, what do you do? <laughs> and he kind of looked at her funny. He said, um, I, I play football. She said, oh, do you play college? And he said, no, no, I'm a professional. And she said, well, is your team any good? And he said, "Uh, yeah, yeah, we're known to be pretty pretty, pretty good. And uh, he looks at her finally and he says, you really don't know who I am. And she said, no, I don't, but if you could give me your name, that'd be great, because I have to write it down on this form. And he kind of smiles and looks at her and says, "Um, my name's Tom Brady. And she kind of gave him a look and he said, you still don't know who I am? <laughs> and she said, no, she said, the only Brady's I know are the ones on TV. <laughs> and uh, obviously, and he told her, he said, he laughed, he got a kick out of it, he said, it's been a long time since I've met somebody that did not know who I was. So he made, she made an impression on him more than he did on her probably. And uh, so I guess after he walked off, one of her coworkers walked up and said, oh my gosh, that was Tom Brady. And Jessica said, well, yeah, I don't know who that is. And she said, he's married to Giselle. And Jessica said, well, why didn't somebody tell me that? I know who that is. <laughs> so um, she did not recognize uh, the great Tom Brady in meeting him. And that, you know, that was funny, and he laughed it off, and you know, we get to tell it, and it's a funny story. But, but you know if we don't recognize Jesus, if I could spiritualize this, if we don't recognize Jesus and his hand in our life and, and who he is, that's not just a funny thing. That's the difference between life and death, isn't it? And it's so important that we recognize his hand in our life, because if we don't, it's literally the difference between life and death. So I would ask you today, who do you say he is? And I know the obvious answer is the same one Peter gave. And I would hope that most of us, or all of us maybe in this room, would say, yes, he is the Christ, he is the Son of the God. Of, he's the son of God. And he's the savior of the world. I would hope that we would all say that because that's the foundational thing. That's the first thing that we should be saying that we've experienced that in our life, and we, that's not just gossip that somebody else told us. That's something we know and have experienced. And I would tell you today, if you're in this room today and you have not experienced that, that I would beg you not to leave this place today without experiencing that in your life, because the Bible's true and the Bible's clear that the, that the gospel is for all who will call upon the name of the Lord. We can all be saved. There's no reason for any of us to walk away or walk and live our life outside of the salvation that God brings us because that's, that's what Jesus did for us. It's why he came and died and rose again was for our salvation. And if you've never received that in your life, please don't leave today without giving your heart to him and asking him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins and to, and to commit to living for him and living a life that's surrendered to him because you know, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed next week, next year. We never know. And one day we are going to meet him face to face. And I want to know before I go that I've met him now because I want to be able to be with him when, when I step into eternity. So don't, don't, don't leave without doing that today, okay? But, but for those of us that would already say that, subscribe to that, I would say the next, the next characteristic that we would give of Jesus when he says, who do you say I am? It would reveal our experience with him in our life, how we've experienced him in our life. You know, some of us might say, well, you know, I would say he's good. I hope that you could say he's good. You know, we can sing that he's good all the time on Sunday mornings, but do you, think that, do you feel like he is good on Monday through Saturday? Maybe some of you, if you're honest with yourself, would say, you know, sometimes I, I feel like he's a little distant because I, really, I can't really sense his presence in my life. You know, I'm going through, going through this dry season. I just really don't sense him with me, and I feel like he's out there in the cosmos somewhere, and I feel like he's distant. Or maybe you feel like he's unfair, because maybe you saw somebody that really needed something from him over here and didn't get it, and somebody over here that needed it and did get it, and you felt like this person deserved it more than this person. And so you think, well, I think sometimes he's unfair. That's who I say he is. Or maybe you think he's inconsistent, because you just don't know what to expect sometimes when it comes to your relationship with Jesus and who he is. Or he's mysterious, you know, he's just, he's just so hard to really figure out, put in a box, you know? So I just, I think like, when I say who is Jesus, I would say he's mysterious. Maybe, maybe those are some of the questions you ask. Now, we don't ever say those things out loud because they don't sound spiritual. But, you know, God knows our heart. God knows the deepest, darkest parts of our heart. So it's better for us to be open with Him and us honest and transparent because He doesn't judge us or condemn us. He actually helps change our heart if we will open it to Him. But I, I want to I focus today, the rest of my message, on one characteristic of God when he says, who do you say I am, that I think is really difficult for us as believers, probably the most difficult one to consistently believe and stand on that he is, and that is his faithfulness. And you know, we sang about that today. All my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so good. And man, when, when we sing that, it stirs us, and it gets emotional, and I think, yes, yes. But again, Monday through Saturday, when it doesn't always feel like he's faithful, can we still stand on it and believe that he's faithful? I want to talk to you about that today because I believe it is, it is imperative upon us as believers to be able to stand on the faithfulness of God even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it. And I know that we as believers get tripped up on it because I know a lot of us make our decisions based on the circumstances of our life. We make decisions that aren't always looking through the lens of God's faithfulness. Because maybe you did that one time, and it didn't turn out the way you thought it should. And so the next time you have to make a decision, you kind of push that over to the side, and you really just try to make the decision based on what you think is best for you. And not really coming from a place of knowing in your heart that God is faithful, and that I could trust Him no matter what, and that I could stand on His truth. I could stand on the Word knowing that He is going to be with me, and He's going to be faithful through it all. And so I know we do that, because there's not a one of us alive, that hasn't at some point or another looked at a situation that's happened in our life and, and, and had, to, had to talk yourself into saying that God is faithful in that because it didn't make sense. And some of us do that. Some of us stand on it. We believe it, and we're not going to waver from it. And some of us struggle with it. And we'll say it on Sundays, but we don't say it any other time. And so I believe... That this characteristic of God, this faithfulness of God, is something we struggle with more than any other. And so I would ask you today, why do we struggle? Why do we struggle with the faithfulness of God? Because it's, the Bible's clear about the faithfulness of God. It's very, very clear. In fact, I want to read a couple of the verses that just express the faithfulness of God because they're some of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. Everyone will know this one because we sing about it. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Hebrews 10 23, another beautiful one. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In Revelations, it talks about the, the rider of the horse whose name is faithful and true. It actually says that one of the names of God is faithful. If that's his name, he's not going to go back on it. He, he doesn't pick names like we do, but it sounds trendy and cute. He, he, when he has a name, it's who he is. And he cannot deny that, and he cannot deny himself. So he is faithful, according to what the Word of God says. But we, yet we still struggle with it. And I want to just give you a couple quick reasons that I think we struggle with it. And I, frankly, how I've struggled with it in my own life. And I think one of them is the fact that this is way at the top of the enemy's hit list, is to get you to question the faithfulness of God in your life. It's way up there at the top. Because if he can get you to question God's faithfulness in your life, it will affect every area of your life. If you don't trust his faithfulness over here, you're not going to trust it over here. And if he can get to you, then he's, go, then he's got you. Because, you know, the enemy is always looking to harden your heart. And if, you, if your heart has become hardened, the enemy doesn't back off and say, okay, well, that's enough, you know, we, we beat him up enough. He's going to jump on it and try to make it even worse. In fact, I was reading in, uh, in Exodus a couple weeks ago, just in my, my daily Bible reading. I was reading through Exodus, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And I, I noticed uh, something I, I hadn't really uh, paid attention to much before. But, you know, in Exodus 7 through Exodus 11, those chapters, it's all about the plagues of Egypt, where, you know, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And God said, I'm going to deliver you guys out. And He rose up Moses to do it. And He told Moses, He said, You're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to tell him to let my people go and he's not going to let them go because his heart's hard and what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring 10 plagues and at the end of the 10th one he's finally going to let you go and so the first two plagues were the plague of blood and the plague of frogs so he, Moses and Aaron actually went to Pharaoh and he, they, they extended uh, their, their staff over the Nile River and it turned to blood and the second one they extended their hands over the Nile River and frogs came up out of the river and covered the land which is really really gross by the way that's not something I even want to visualize, you know? But the crazy thing about these first two plagues is that it says that the Pharaoh's magicians were also able to do the same thing. So when Moses and Aaron would do this, the magicians would say, that's no big deal, and they'd do it too. It's one of the great mysteries in the word that, that these magicians were actually able to do these, these powers, had these powers to be able to do these two things. And, and what the Bible shows us, what it says in Exodus 7, is that it says that the magician was able to Turn the water to blood, and it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened all the more. And man, when I saw that this time, for some reason, it just jumped out at me, because I thought that's exactly what the enemy does in our life. If you have, if you have, if you got bitterness or if you have uh, uh, frustration or whatever it is, and you're allowing it to to harden your heart and make you in a way that's that's not moldable to what God wants to do in your life, the enemy will seize on that and he'll make situations even worse or do something to cause you to say, "Yep." I knew it. God's not faithful. I knew he wasn't going to come through there. I mean, those are music. That's music to the, the enemy's ears. God, he didn't do it there, see? It's no big deal that those guys turned out water to blood. I did it too. What's the big deal? And Pharaoh's, Pharaoh said, yeah, what's the big deal? God, uh, the enemy is always looking to harden our heart. And if he does that, he's got us. And so we have to recognize that, that the enemy doesn't want you to see the faithfulness of God. So when you're saying you don't think God's faithful, you're playing right into his hands. It's one of the reasons we struggle. I think another reason we struggle is because we're looking for the faithfulness of God in the wrong place. We're looking in the wrong place. Have you ever lost your keys or your cell phone or something really important like the remote control? If you don't have the remote, you can't watch TV anymore. You can't go up to the TV and push the buttons. You have to have it. And you've looked everywhere for it. And you feel like you're losing your mind because you just keep looking and looking. It's got to be here somewhere. I know I had it. My car's out in the driveway. My keys have to be in here somewhere. And you just look and you look. And after you looked everywhere, you finally just decide, I'm just gonna look again. And you start looking through the same places again. And in your mind, you're going, I'm losing my mind. I just looked in this drawer. But here I am again because I think, well, you know, maybe it's hiding behind that, you know, tiny little paper clip or something. And you know all the while, this is crazy, but you just keep doing it. And it's not until somebody that, that loves and cares about you, probably a spouse that you know, really wants what's best for you, looks at you and says, you're looking in the wrong place. Stop looking there. You've already looked under the bed four times. And somebody actually tells you that and you realize, okay, you know, I, I'm, I'm going about this all wrong. I'm looking in the wrong place. I want to suggest to you today that sometimes when we're looking for the faithfulness of God in our situation, the reason we're not seeing it, the reason we're having a hard time trusting is because we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking for the outcome of a circumstance that we want, whether it has to do with our finances, our job, our relationships, our health. We're looking for a direct result. And unless we have a result, that way we're not willing to say that God, or, or really see that God's faithful in that situation. And what God would say to us sometimes to us as believers, as he would say, you're looking in the wrong place. Stop looking there. Look to me. Just look to me. Look to my character. Look to who I am. Look to my word to see that I am faithful. I am faithful no matter what the situation happens. Now, do we not have faith and believe for him to move in our, on our behalf? Of course we do. But that's not, a, that's not the litmus test of whether or not God's faithful. Because he's faithful because of who he is. And he cannot not be faithful in our life, I, when I was talking about Jessica's story, you know, she didn't know that she was in the presence of this Super Bowl MVP great quarterback. You know, and I hate the Patriots, so you know, I would have dropped his hamburger on the floor and kicked some dirt on it, and then gave it to him. They always beat my team, and it drives me nuts. But you know, she didn't recognize that she was in the presence of this guy, and that's that's funny. But if we don't recognize that we're in the presence of a faithful God in our life, it's the difference, church, between freedom and bondage. It's the difference between peace and turmoil. It's the, it's the difference between life and death. It just, it is. And we have to be able to say, okay, I might be looking in the wrong place here. If it's not there, it's somewhere because God's faithfulness is always in our circumstances and in our situations, whether we see it or not, and in that exact moment that we want to see it. So what I want to do today... To finish off this message, I want to give you three characteristics of the faithfulness of God that I think we need to understand that sometimes we don't understand. And I think this will be a blessing to you, and I think it will encourage you because sometimes we need to be reminded of some of the characteristics of who God is, right? So I want to give you three characteristics of the faithfulness of God. And the first one is that we need to understand, when it comes to his faithfulness, we need to understand his sovereignty. We need to understand that he is sovereign. It is not always going to look the way that you and I want it to look. And we have to be OK with that. We have to be okay with it. Now it doesn't mean we just don't, don't pray and we don't worry about it, and we don't care, because God's just going to do what He's going to do anyway. I don't see that anywhere in the word. I know we're supposed to stand on faith. We're supposed to believe God for things. He, he's a good father. I'm a father. He's a good father. And I'm a father that likes to give good things to my kids. How much more does he want to do that? So we can stand on faith. But what I'm telling you today is that his faithfulness is not dependent on the outcome looking like we think it should look. And we have to be able to understand that. There's parts of the sovereignty of God that we will never, ever understand. You know, there's certain aspects of the character of God that we know what it looks like every time. But this is not one of them. You know, we know what forgiveness looks like. The Bible says, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Boom, done. That's how forgiveness looks every time in that characteristic of who God is. We don't have to question it, we don't have to wonder about it. It's exactly how it looks. You are forgiven every time. We know what salvation looks like every time. It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Boom, over. You're saved. Like there's no, there's, no, there's no gray area there. We know, we can know that we have, we have assurance of salvation if we give our heart to him and believe in him, right? But when it comes to his faithfulness, it doesn't always look that way. It's not always wrapped up in a nice present with a bow on top of it so that we can understand it and recognize it the way we think we should. And we have to be okay with that. Look, look what Isaiah 55 and verse nine, look what it says there. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Ooh, that's a tough verse. I I said in the first service, I really wish that verse wasn't in the Bible. I really wish it said, like, you're going to understand everything I do, guy, because I'm just going to make sure it's real easy for you, and you're going to get it, and you're going to know all my ways, and you're going to know all my thoughts. That'd be the easier way out. I don't really wish it wasn't in there. That sounds really bad. My flesh wishes it wasn't in there. How's that? So... But, that, but, it, but it, it is in there, and his ways are so much higher. And for us to try to comprehend and put him in a box and say, it should look like this, because this is what I want, is, is contrary to what he says here. We should have the mind of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys remember that story? You learned about it in Sunday school. It's in Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar had told everybody, he, he made a golden image, and he told everybody that you have to bow down to this golden image and to my gods, and if you don't, I'm going to throw you in a furnace and kill you. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not do it. And so they were brought before the king because they, were, because they would not bow down to his, his golden image. Look what they say in Daniel 3, 17 and 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That encapsulates the mind for every believer. God want, these, these boys stood on faith. They said, oh God, our God is able to rescue us from this furnace. That's the first thing they said. He's able. And then they said, and he will. And he will do it. So he want, God wants us to know that he can and that he will. But then he also, they go on to say, but even if he doesn't. We will not serve your gods. God wants us to have that same attitude. We, no matter what, if God doesn't do what I want him to do in this situation, I will not serve the gods of this world. I will not bow to the pressures of our society. I will not turn my back on my God. I will not live my life for myself. I will live it for him. I will serve him till I have no more breath in my lungs because I do believe he is who he says he is. So we have the faith and we stand on that faith. But you always got to have that, but even if it doesn't happen. Because what happens to some people is they stand on faith and they won't, they won't even consider anything else. And then if it doesn't happen the way that they thought it should happen, they fall away from the faith. Because they just can't come to grips with the fact that God didn't come through for them. When in reality, God didn't come through from the way they wanted him to come through for them. He always comes through, one way or another. But, but we have to be willing to say, no matter what, I'm going to serve you because I believe that you're sovereign and I can trust you. You know, one of Joseph's biggest tests in his life. Joseph was the one that he had a dream when he was 17, and he told his brothers and his dad about it because his dream said that basically was interpreted that his brothers and his dad were going to bow down to him one day. And they didn't like that one bit. And so they ended up selling him into slavery. He ended up in a dungeon. About 11 years later, the king's baker and cupbearer end up down in the dungeon with him because they made the king mad about something. And they both, both the baker and the cupbearer had a dream the same night and they couldn't figure out what it meant. And Joseph found out about it. They came to Joseph. Now, remember, the interpretation of a dream is what got Joseph in the dungeon in the first place. Him being obedient to God and saying God did this got him put eventually into this dungeon. But yet these guys come to him with a dream and he doesn't say, hey, listen, I, I'm out of the dream interpreting business. Last time I did it, I ended up in this hole. Ain't doing it. Go find some soothsayer down the road. They'll do it. He didn't do that. He looks at him and he says, God is the one that interprets dreams. Tell me your dreams. And they told him, he interpreted them, and he was right on the money. He was able to testify to the faithfulness of God through those dreams, even though the whole reason he was in this disgusting dungeon was because of the fact that he was faithful to God interpreting his dream. That's the mindset God wants us to have. And, you know, when you look at Joseph's situation, the, whole, the, the, the way it's all intricately weaved and how God orchestrated it is so phenomenal because, because that was a test when those guys came to Joseph because he interpreted those dreams. If he had said, I'm not interpreting those because the last time I did it, I ended up down here, he would have never got out of there because by him interpreting those dreams, the one guy went back, and when the king had a dream and couldn't interpret it, the guy said, oh, wait, I know a guy down in prison that knows how to do it. They brought Joseph to interpret the king's dream. He ends up being the prime minister of Egypt. God's sovereignty was all through that whole situation for 13 years. But boy, it sure didn't look very good for him for a while. Their their dungeons aren't like our cushy little prisons. It was pretty rough. But yet God was sovereign, and in the end, he got him exactly where he promised him he would get him. So we can trust in God's sovereignty. The next characteristic is that we can trust in his timing. His timing. And we have to understand that there is a timing factor to God's faithfulness in our life that we don't always get. You know, a moment of transparency here, you know, I have my phone here and I have this really cool calendar on my phone that comes with it that you all have too probably. And I am a little bit too dependent on my calendar. In fact, I usually tell people if they say they want to do something and I say, okay, I always tell them like, wait, make sure I put it in my calendar because if I don't, it ain't going to happen. Because i got a lot of stuff going on and I, I pretty much, like if, if it's not in there, I don't remember it. And I love my calendar. I love it so, so much. I put everything in there. I put reminders in it for myself. I put all my appointments in there. I love to look at it and it'll tell me what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, and where I'm doing it, and when it's supposed to finish. I don't, I don't even have to think about it. And then it will even remind me beforehand and my map app will tell me, hey, you better take off now because if you don't, you're gonna be late, dummy. Does yours do that? Mine does. It doesn't call me a dummy, but it definitely tells me when I need to leave to even get there. It's so nice to have. Wouldn't that be nice if, if God worked by our calendar and I could put in my calendar for Wednesday this week? Yeah, God, uh, by three o'clock Wednesday afternoon, you need to have my mortgage paid off. <sighs> yeah, amen to that. God doesn't go by my calendar. He doesn't sit up there and go, oh, hey, guys, come here. Reagan's calendar says we got to do this by Thursday. We better get it down there and get it done. It's not how God works. He has his own timing for the things that, we, that He does in our life, and we have to trust His timing, right? Because frankly, in a lot of times in our life, the thing that we think we need God to do for us right now, we're not even really ready for it, even though we think we are. I, it reminds me of when I was a young boy, and uh, my dad would go out and mow the yard. He had a nice riding, lawn mower, we had a pretty good sized yard, and he was pretty proud of it, and he always made like perfectly straight lines. And, you know, a lot of people in our in our area knew about our yard because it was always so nice. And I'd literally sit on the front porch and watch him mow. And uh, I would ask him all the time, like, "Dad, let me mow. Come on, I'm ready. I can do it." And he'd say, "No, you're not ready, son." And finally, one day, he must have just been in a really good mood because I wore him down. He said, "Okay, you could do the backyard. Because if you destroy the backyard, it's not as big a deal." <laughs> and so I jump on, and you know, I'm ready. I got the steering wheel, and I engage the blades, and I start going. And I'm driving along thinking I'm king of the world. And next thing I know, I look out the side and the remnants of my mom's geraniums are shooting out the side of the mower deck. And, and my mom loved her geraniums. So this was not good. And uh, my dad stopped, you know, got on and stopped it right away and you know, basically looked at me and said, mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, dad, I don't think I'm ready. And uh, so needless to say, I didn't mow again for a little while. But you know, I thought I was ready, but I wasn't. And I think we think that so much in our own lives, that we think, man, we're just, if God would just do, I'm ready for this, God, just do this, you know. What we're really, what we don't understand a lot of times with God's timing is that if if he gives us the things that we think we need right now, there will be unintended consequences that will come that we don't know anything about, that God does know, because God knows the end from the beginning, right? Another story in Exodus that I have read not too long ago that I really love, because I think it shows God's heart for all of us and how his timing is really perfect. Uh, So in Exodus 23, he's talking to the children of Israel about how he's going to take them into the promised land. They've already left Egypt, but they're out in the desert. He's going to take them into the promised land. He says, when I do, I'm going to push your enemies out, and you're going to be able to have this whole promised land. It's going to be beautiful and wonderful. But look what he says to them in verses 29 and 30. This is about driving out the people that are living in the land now. He says, but I will not drive them out in a single year, because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you little by little i will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land now this is really fascinating because you know the children of israel were thinking man get us out of this desert get us into that land flowing with milk and honey we're ready for it let's do this we just got out of egypt and crossed over the red sea this we're on a high we're ready to go and god's saying you're not ready If I give it to you, it will actually be harmful to you if I give it to you the way you want it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it to you little by little, he says, until you can actually grow into my promise. Ooh, that's good. I mean, that's good stuff. He's actually saying he had to leave those other inhabitants in there and move them out only a little bit at a time because if he pushed them all out all at once. It would actually be detrimental to the children of Israel. And how many times do we do that? God, I need you to fix my job situation. I need a new job. I need this. I need this. And God's saying, if I do it, it's actually going to hurt you. But you don't know that. But I do because I see the end from the beginning. So you're going to have to trust my timing. You're going to have to trust my timing. There's also a part in Judges where it references this same uh, scenario where God told the children of Israel that he was going to have to drive them out little by little. And in Judges, it actually says that God left some of the inhabitants there at first to actually test the hearts of the Israelites to make sure that they would stay faithful to God. We don't like that either, do we? We don't. I know some of you are looking at me probably thinking, well, that's Old Testament. Well, you know, the New Testament says that God tests our heart too. He sure does. He tests the genuineness of our faith. God tests us all the time. And what he did to the children of Israel with the promised land was he left some of those people there to test them to make sure they would be faithful to God and trust in his faithfulness. Maybe that's what God's doing in your situation right now. Maybe he's waiting so that you can even see your own heart, so that you can see whether or not my heart is at a place where I'm willing to wait for him. Because God knows, he's not waiting so that he can find out where your heart is. He's waiting so you can see where your heart is. And you would say, well, what do I do? I would say that you need to go to God and say, God, my heart is not good in this. Help change my heart. God's in the business of doing heart transplants. He does them every day, but we got to ask him for it. We've got to be willing to say, to lay ourselves down, to lay down our pride and humble ourselves before him and say, God, my heart and this, I want this right now. I want want my debt dealt with right now. I want my marriage fixed today. I want this relationship fixed today. But I trust you. I trust your timing, God. That we have to be willing to trust his timing in all these situations because he definitely knows more than we do. And frankly, God is much more concerned about our heart than he is our circumstances. He wants our heart to be right. Because like I said before, a hard heart is the enemy's playground. So he wants our heart to be soft and moldable and surrendered completely to him. All right, then the last one, the last characteristic that we need to understand about God's faithfulness is that it is for his glory. His faithfulness to us in our lives is designated first and foremost to bring him glory. That is hard for, that's a hard pill for us to swallow sometimes because it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about us. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want us, our situations to be fixed, to be re, uh, redeemed, to be restored, to be solidified and, and, and taken care of. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want that. What it means is that he will do that, but at the end of the day, the top priority for him is about him getting glory from it, not just about us getting what we want. We get to reap the benefits of him getting glory. Because when he gets glory, it's it's usually something good. So we do get to reap benefits from that. But at the end of the day, it is absolutely about his glory. And that's not just a Sunday thing that we would say that we want you to be glorified in our lives, God. I I, I feel like sometimes, um, I I talk about this quite a bit because I, I believe so wholeheartedly in it that it is something that has affected the church so deeply is humanism, which is the philosophy that life is about the happiness of man. It is about my comfort. It's about my safety. It's about me enjoying myself. That that is the earth's, that is the world's philosophy of life. But it has epically infiltrated the church. And we have walked, we, we can so easily succumb to that in our faith that we can think that our faith is about us being comfortable and happy and joyful and peaceful. Are those things good? And are those things that God wants us to have? Absolutely. But that cannot be our top priority in our life. Our top priority in our life is bringing him glory. It's about living for him, that his name would be honored, that his name would be glorified, that his name would be exalted by our life here on earth. And that this earth would be a better place because we were here because we gave glory to God and we helped lead people to Jesus. That's his first priority is bringing himself glory. Look at the verse again. I'm going back to Exodus. And it's talking about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart when he was about to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Look what God says to Moses about bringing the children out of Egypt. In Exodus 7, verses 4 to the first part of verse 5. He's talking about Pharaoh here. He says, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that Israel is great and they deserve this. Is that what it says? It says the Egyptians will know that what? I am the Lord. That is the why for why God got the Israelites out of Egypt. It is so they would know that he is the Lord. That is why he does everything that he does, is so that people will know that he is the Lord. It is first and foremost about his glory. Now, this is the beauty of it. The Israelites got to reap the benefits of God wanting the Egyptians to know that he was the Lord because they got to get out of Egypt. They were delivered from bondage, walked into freedom. So we, we, get to, we get to experience the goodness of our God. But the motive that he, that for him that he has for us is that he would be glorified and that he would receive all the glory. God is looking for people who will say with a sincere heart, God, I just want you to be glorified in my life. That's what he's looking for, church. He's looking for a people that will say, whatever happens in my life, I want you to be glorified whether it's something I don't like or whether it's something I love, I want you to receive glory. I want the banner over my life to be, God be glorified. That's what I want. That's what God is looking for in each one of us is that we would have those hearts that want him glorified above all else. Above all else. God, whatever my life is, let it bring you glory. Jesus himself had that same, uh, he came to that same crossroads in his own life while he was on this earth. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, and he was, he was sweating as drops, as drops of blood. He was so distressed over what he knew was about to become of him that he actually got before God and said, God, if there is any way that this cup can pass from me, he's saying if there's any other way besides what I got to go through here in these next few hours, if there's any way outside of this, please, God. But then he follows it up with, but not my will not my comfort, not my happiness, not my glory, not my anything, but your will be done. Your glory be done. You be glorified. The the one event in all of history where God was the most glorified in the world was in that moment because he's still receiving glory from that moment today. People are still getting saved because of that today. And as long as Jesus tarries, people will be getting saved on this earth because of that moment even Jesus himself had to come to say, if there's any other way, Father, but at the end, not my will, yours be done. That's what he wants for each and every one of us, that we would say, God, not my will, not my glory, not my fame, not me exalted, you, God, you alone. And If, if we will understand that in our life, we will see his faithfulness in our life in ways that you never dreamed you could see it. You will find faithfulness in tragedy. You will find faithfulness in, uh, in, in the worst things that can happen in your life. You will find his faithfulness in those places because that's who he is and that's what he's looking for. Look, look what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. He said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That sums it all up. Whatever you do, church. That includes everything. Whatever means everything. Everything you do, do it for the glory of God. And you will see his faithfulness. Even in those circumstances where you don't know how you're going to see it, you will see it. I'm going to ask you to stand with me today as I close. And I want to go back to my first question. Who do you say I am? Who do you say he is today? Do you say that he's faithful? Maybe you're going through the toughest season of your life right now. Can you say that he's faithful? Maybe you're going through the best season of your life. It's a little easier to say he's faithful during those seasons, isn't it? But, you know, our our praise is perfected. Our worship is perfected through the times that are not so good. Our heart is revealed during times that are not so good. Um, I, I was... Uh, you guys may have heard this story in the news over the July 4th weekend. There was a 14-year-old boy that was, that was killed up at the lake. A uh, tragic accident. They were, they were out on a dock doing fireworks. and Something happened that caused everybody on the dock... It must have been bad because everybody on the dock jumped in the water, and they were not dressed to be in the water. So whatever was going on was not good. And they all jumped in and everything surpassed, blew up and whatever, and they all got back out of the water onto the dock. And when they got back on the dock, they noticed that one person was missing. And uh, it was a 14-year-old boy, Brantley Griffin. And they jumped in the water and got him. Turns out he either hit his head on somebody's knee or on the dock or something when he jumped in and knocked him out. And so he was under the water for a while. And they performed CPR on him. They called 911. And The the ambulance came, took him to the hospital and actually in the first day they said that uh, he was probably going to make a full recovery and not long after that they did a brain scan and realized there was no brain activity that he was actually brain dead so he he passed away within a day or two and uh, man it was that kind of hit hard for me, it hit home because I have a 13 year old son and uh, the thought of what they're going through is is almost unimaginable and uh, some of you in this room have dealt with things like that too And I know that there's a grace that that God gives in those times that that those of us that haven't gone through that won't experience. But I found out later that uh, his dad is actually the manager of the company that leases half of our warehouse down here, the roofing company. They got about 40,000 square feet down here that they lease from us. His dad's the manager. Um, His name's Matt. And so it really broke my heart for him, so I emailed him. And I just sent him a quick email. I don't—I didn't even know if he was a believer. And so I just said, "Matt, I just want you to know that I'm really sorry for your loss, and that uh, the, the staff here at New Hope is, is really is praying for you guys, and that we're here if you need us. And you know, I, I offered to, to talk to him if he wanted to. Just a real quick email. He emailed me back in like 15, 20 minutes. And man, his email really, really blessed the socks off of me. In fact, I. I'm going to read just a... It wasn't very long, but what he said in the midst of this, he said, We feel each and every one of those prayers. Our faith and God's grace has surely walked us through this tragedy. He surely is our hero forever, and we have a peace that Brantley lives. Whew. To be able to say that in the midst of that tragedy, that Jesus is their hero. It's powerful be able to say that God is still faithful when I'm having to bury my son is powerful. That's the heart that God wants us to have for Him. That no matter what we go through, that nothing could derail us from the understanding and the commitment to the fact that God is faithful. Now, how is God faithful through this? We don't even know yet. We may not know until we get to heaven, but I know He is. I know He is. You know, we always say it as kind of a consolation— but when, when a believer dies, they're with Jesus. Brantley wouldn't come back today if he could. In fact, I always joke with joy I'm like, if I die, if, if somebody prays for me and resurrects me, I will be very angry. Very angry. I want to be with Jesus. That's what all this is about. Isn't it? It's what this is for. <laughs> That's why we can say God's faithful no matter what because the worst thing that can happen to us in this physical world, in this life is that our our body is destroyed and dies. But even in that is the greatest victory of all of them because we get to go be with Him. Like, that's why the Bible says, what can man do to me? You can't do anything to me. No one can snatch me out of his hand. No one. It's impossible to do. So we can trust Him. We can trust that he's faithful. And if your situation doesn't look the way you want it to look, you can trust that he's faithful and that it's going to work out for your good and for his glory. You can trust it. It may not happen today. It may not happen this afternoon, but you can trust him. And that's what gives us that peace and that freedom to be able to say, I don't have to figure it out. I know this is what I want, but God, mm, I trust you. I trust you. So I want to pray for us because I think every, every one of us needs a greater level of trusting him. and and even having his faithfulness revealed to us in the crevices where we don't see it all the time. So let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word, that it is truth, that it brings life to each and every one of us today, God. We thank you that we can trust you when we don't understand. We can trust you when it doesn't make sense. We can trust you when it's really, really good, and we can trust you when it's really, really bad. Because we know in the end that we win. We win. God, I just thank you for that today. I pray you do your work in our hearts. That if our hearts are not at that place where maybe they become hardened or maybe we're not able to trust you in the way we want to, God, reveal our hearts to us. Help us to surrender that to you so that you can do a heart transplant in our life. Do heart surgery on us today, Lord. And we pray that you would do your work by your Holy Spirit in each one of us. And Lord, if we have given the enemy a foothold by speaking death into our situations, or speaking, speaking against trusting you. God, we want to come against that today. Lord, I pray for each person here that may have done that, and I plead the blood of Jesus over them. We take back any authority that we have given the enemy today in the mighty name of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus, we do not stand here and allow ourselves to get beat up by the enemy. We know that greater is he that is in me. So, Lord, we thank you today that you set us free, that you redeem us, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's life, and there's truth, And there is your grace, and your grace is sufficient for each and every one of us, Lord. And we stand in that today, and we walk in that, and we trust you. Help us to trust you in a greater measure, and to bring you glory through that. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus, and amen. God bless you guys.